Am I on? Yay. Uh, I'm thinking maybe we should claim this as bathrobe Sunday uh, next year, maybe pajama Sunday, just to celebrate um, in between Christmas and in between New Year's. But what a gift to be together. My name is Jane, and I'm one of the pastors, and delighted to be with you this morning. I have really grown to love this week of the year. It really lends itself to reflection on the year behind and preparation in some uh, way for the year ahead. And so this morning, I'm actually going to start with this object lesson. And um, I hope, you know, object lessons are never 100% perfect, but I hope that there will be something in here that will um, cause you to wonder and maybe even wrestle as you think about your life and some of the things that God is about in your life this year. So this glass here represents your life the time, the gifts that God has given to you, your influence, uh, your presence. And what we believe as Christians is that our lives matter deeply to God. The big things and the little things, God cares about all of it. And God really cares about how we live our lives. And this simple object lesson is really intended to help us think about how we order our lives and actually how we order our loves. So this sand here represents um, little things, little things that can accumulate in our lives that can take a lot of time and attention and keep us busy, but also distracted. Errands, to-do lists, getting our nails done, checking stats on ESPN, but also things like mindless consumption of memes and social media and TV and video games. Sometimes these things can actually pull us away from more important things even pull us away from rest. But these things, uh, for many of us, add up to hours every day. When you think about how many hours that adds up to over a year, it could be hundreds and hundreds, even a thousand hours uh, that we would have in a year for these things. And then there are these pebbles, and they represent day-to-day life things, things that are important and necessary for life. Things like tasks at work and paying the bills and doing the laundry. Seeing good movies, taking care of your home. Usually these things are pretty urgent and require our attention. And between these two things, between the sand and the pebbles, life can feel pretty full and pretty busy. And myself included, I could spend my entire day or my week or my year or even my life really keeping up with these sandy and these pebbly things. But these rocks actually represent things that are of most importance, of biggest importance, first things. And often it feels like we um, have filled so much of our life with sandy pebbly things, that sometimes it's hard to fit these big things in. So Jesus has told us about what things are first, what are the big things. He said the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And the second is like it, to love others as you love yourself. So these first two big rocks, they get expressed in lots of different ways. It looks different in each of our lives, but they are true for every single person who is a follower of Jesus. 
So Jesus also said the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Eric talked about that on Christmas Eve. What does that look like to be somebody who considers themselves a friend of God, who would give time and uh, attention to God's presence with us? And then as we live that out with other people, that we don't just have relationships, but that we actually pour into those relationships. That's the second commandment. But God also told us about the Great Commission. He said all of us as believers should be about going and making disciples. And to be a disciple is simply someone who follows the way of Jesus in whatever your context is, in whatever moment you find your life. That's what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus in your context at any moment of your life. How are you doing that, and how are you helping others do that? So that's something that God calls each of us to. And if God asks us this fourth thing, I'm kind of taking some liberties with this, but I think if God asks us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as we love ourselves, and to be willing to go, we actually need to be taking care of ourselves. I think there are some of you who think that it's just too much trouble to go to the doctor or to eat well or to go to therapy, all those things, but you aren't actually able to love others well unless you care for yourself and tend to some of the first things that God has given to you. And then I would also say that one of the things that God invites all Christians into is a call, a vocation, your work that God has given you. Some of you, this is your paid work, but for many of you, this is your passion, your gifts, your influence, ways that you can join God in restoration and recreation, recreating the things that God has made. He's invited us to be part of that. And finally, I would say rhythms of rest and Sabbath, rhythms of generosity and hospitality. What I love about hospitality and generosity and rest and Sabbath, have you noticed that people who are often the most generous and the most hospitable are also people who rest well? I think that's because those things demonstrate a trust in God. When we trust God enough that we can cease from our work, we know that we are not in charge, but God is. And when we trust God enough with our resources that we can give generously, that we can be hospitable because we know that God will provide. Certainly there might be some other things, but I would say that these are first things. In every culture, for every follower of Christ, I would say these are important things. And so we have these things that God has asked of us very clearly. But what can happen is, gosh, we have filled our life with sandy things and to-do lists that there's actually not enough space for the first things, for the most important things that God has asked of us. It's actually how I think we can look back over a year and wonder, did I actually do anything to d demonstrate my devotion to the Lord this year? Did I show up for other people in a way that I could say I really came in the flesh to be with them in an important moment? Was I about uh, the work of renewal and restoration in our culture in any way? And sometimes the way that we order our lives, we actually haven't left enough space for the first things and our days turns into weeks, turn into years, and we wonder about that. So we have a lot to talk about uh, this morning, 
And I just want to say, I grieve about my own life about these things as well. I want to be more devoted to the Lord and to these first things. And actually, my word for 2019, I usually ask the Lord for a word, was devotion, fully devoted. But if I look at the way I spend my time and energy and resources, when I have free time and margin, I think you would say I'm probably more devoted to staying connected on Facebook and shopping and decorating my house and reading new recipes. In practice, actually, comfort and image and consumption are often my first things. So everyone in every culture has things that become first, that actually fill up our lives and don't leave room for first things, that God intends to be first. Augustine said this thing that I think is so helpful. He said that the functional cause of discontent and lack of joy in human lives is that our loves are out of order. The functional cause of our lack of joy and discontentment is that our loves are out of order. And this isn't only a personal thing. This goes for organizations and even churches or families. We can be so busy with sandy, pebbly things that we could neglect first things. So the reason we chose to do this series, But First, is that we want to be really clear about first things, what is most important, to call us always to be a people and a church that's about first things, the big rocks, a people of rightly ordered love and devotion. Because as a church, as you just heard, in a month we're about to start a vision project and a capital campaign that's going to require a lot of time and money and work and our communication, and it's all really good. And it's all motivated by first things and our first love. But before we do all of this, and before you consider your own personal goals and perhaps New Year's resolutions, we want to be very clear about what is first and most important as followers of Christ and as a church family. But first, Jesus. But first, following Jesus. But first, living in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. But first, the good news of the kingdom of God, believing it and joyfully surrendering to our King. We want our life together and your life to have rightly ordered love and devotion. So we want to be really clear about what comes first. We know that the Spirit works transformation when belief and behavior are bound together. What we believe and who we believe and who we follow and how we follow are all part of that first things of God transforming us. So let's pray, and we're going to step into Mark 1 together. Loving Father, we want to love you and follow you with our whole being individually and together as a church family. So Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and minds more to you this morning as we gather around your word. We pray that you would have your way in us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to be walking through the beginning of the Gospel of Mark through January and really follow Jesus as he begins his ministry. And here are some of the first things that we're going to call out that he does in his ministry, just going right through the beginning of Mark. Jesus announces the good news. He calls the disciples. He drives out an impure spirit. He prays and heals. 
and he forgives. What we want to ask is how can the first things of Jesus' ministry and all that surrounds them teach us about the first things in our life and our life together? So here's where we begin. Our text for today is Mark 1, 14 and 15. It says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So here we come to the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, this announcement of the kingdom. But before we get to that announcement, it's so important, I want to be sure that we don't skip over the first phrase of these texts, this first six words. I wonder how many of you notice it. After John was put in prison. Because those six words actually tell us a lot about what it means to follow Jesus. They remind us that Jesus began his ministry on the heels of suffering and trials. We just sang about some of them this morning. What we read here is that Jesus' relative and his predecessor, John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, prepared the way for his ministry, prepared the way for the gospel, he was put in prison for confronting the religious authorities. And then soon after, in Mark 6, we read that John the Baptist was beheaded. So from the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, there were trials and suffering for people who were connected to him and for Jesus himself. In fact, all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us that just before Jesus' ministry began, he was baptized and then immediately sent by God into the wilderness where he was tempted and tested by Satan. Here are the verses that directly precede today's text. It says this, the baptism and testing of Jesus. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. So we see this visible presence of the Spirit and this word of love, this audible word of love and affirmation from the Father, and then boom, at once, or immediately it's translated in the other Gospels, Jesus was sent into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. Sometimes I just wonder, why? Why, Lord, is it this way? And for some, what's especially challenging about this is that it's it's God's Spirit who sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Did you hear that? So here is what I want to say about this today, about these first six words of our passage. I know many of you have experienced testing and temptation. This was helpful to me. It's an old but valid distinction that God tests us, but Satan tempts us. The difference is not necessarily in the substance of what happens to a person undergoing trial, but in the intent behind the trial. God puts us to test to strengthen our moral character, like a workman tempering steel so it will be strong and not alloyed with impure substances. The devil, on the other hand, puts us to the test in order to destroy our good character. So a couple things for us to hold on to 
God's testing is not the result of sin. We know that Jesus was without sin. But if we are involved in things that matter to God, if we are a part of announcing the good news of the kingdom of God and bringing the light of Christ into the darkness like we talked about on Christmas Eve, we can expect that we are going to face some testing. Either because the Lord knows that we need to be encouraged and strengthened and built up, or because we're a threat to Satan and he wants to destroy us. So while God does not tempt us or cause suffering, he does allow us, sometimes even places us, where we will face testing and temptation. But what we see here is that when we resist the devil's schemes, our character is built, our faith is clarified and encouraged, and our perseverance is strengthened. And often, just like it was for Jesus, God allows these things to occur just before something spiritually significant that God is going to do in and through us. And following Jesus means that our lives will and should reflect his, even in the facing of trials and temptations. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a person, and I would even say when Christ calls a church, he calls them to come and die, to die to ourself and to selfish desires and to self-directed course of living. And one of the reasons he does that is so that a different set of first things can be laid down and put in place, that our lives and our loves can be rightly ordered. Though sometimes it's hard to understand, as Augustine said, that's where joy and contentment is found, when our love is ordered by God, and we are following in the way of Jesus. So I hope that's an encouragement to you, especially if you are in a season of trial or temptation right now. And I would say, don't be ashamed of that. Let people pray for you, invite people in to walk with you. It may be very well that God is doing something significant and preparing you for something significant. Just one gift that I want to give to you that has been a gift to me is one of our historic confessions that really has shaped people and emboldened them to follow the way of Christ in the midst of trial and temptation. Declare some of these first things. It's the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Many of you know it. It's one of these first things that we can hang on to. What is your only comfort in life and in death? In other words, what is the first thing you really need to know as a follower of Jesus? that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Friends, these are our first things. May they be a comfort and give us courage for the way of Jesus. So it's right after this trial and temptation, 40 days that Jesus was in the desert, that we come again to our text. So he's He's tempted for 40 days. John is put in prison. And then we hear Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
And this announcement is what we have been celebrating and longing for throughout Advent, what humanity had been waiting for until his coming, the Messiah. God had promised from the very beginning of human history that he would send a savior, a king, to come and rescue his people. And Jesus is saying, that time has come. You have been waiting. You have been waiting and waiting generation after generation, hundreds and hundreds of years. And Jesus is saying, the Savior King has come. I am your King. It's an amazing announcement that he's making. And here's what is so amazing. This phrase, good news, that Jesus uses twice here just in these two verses, has a lot of freight behind it. Good news actually comes from the Hebrew word beser, and in Greek it's translated euangelion, and it literally means good announcement. And it's this kind of announcement, a beser, was, it was a royal announcement. It was of national import, national news. And beser is actually the announcement that a king would receive from the battlefield, letting him know that his army had defeated the enemy that his kingdom continued, that he was still on the throne. He was enthroned as king. So Jesus is, of course, using this very loaded word, this good announcement, this royal announcement that a king would receive, that he is on the throne. Jesus is using that on purpose. We hear good news, but it is a term that comes with so much freight. So in the same way as, we, as Eric prayed this morning that we, during Advent, declared that Jesus not only brings with him hope and peace and joy and love to the world, but that he actually is in the flesh incarnate our hope and peace and joy and love. What Jesus is saying here is that not only is he bringing God's reign to earth, that he is bringing that a royal announcement that God is now reigning on earth in a new way. He's saying that he actually is the announcement, that he himself is the royal announcement of that authority, of that reign. He is the way that the kingdom of God has come near. Not just that he brings it. He is the announcement. He is the coming near. And sometimes people wonder, what do, what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God most directly uh, defined is simply the rule and reign of God. And so while God the creator has been in sovereign power for all eternity, Jesus is making a royal announcement that Jesus's, that God's reign, God the Father's reign, is now on earth in a new way. It's a huge thing, and it began with Jesus coming in the flesh, what we just celebrated on Wednesday, that God came in the flesh and then right before this, this baptism where we hear the voice of the Father declaring, you are my son, and the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. And Jesus is saying, the reign of God has now come near. It's why we say the kingdom of God is both a present reality, it has already come, and a future hope. Jesus is coming back any time to come and reign on the earth. And so he says, repent and believe this royal announcement that I am declaring. Your king has come. I am here. So as we wrap up, and really by way of application of this announcement to our lives, I want to talk about also the freight of this word, repent. This is also a word that was used in the Old Testament. 
And it doesn't just mean feeling remorse or regret or even having a change of mind. It literally means to turn and return to Yahweh with your whole being. It's an action word. It's about your whole life to repent, to turn and return to Yahweh with all of one's being. Not only your mind, not only your feelings of remorse, but your whole body, your whole being. And so what Jesus is saying is that in order to rightly relate to this king, to Jesus as king, and his reign and rule in the world and in our lives, I, you, must repent. We must turn to God with our whole being. And that involves laying down anything that we have given more authority to than Jesus. Laying down anything that we've given more devotion to than Jesus. It means reordering our misordered loves, our misordered lives. It means giving our first love, our first devotion to Jesus and what matters most to him. So I love that repentance and belief are bound together in this way. And again, the Spirit works transformation in us and in us when belief and behavior are bound together. We repent because we believe that Jesus is the king. And when we bow before him as our king, we are repenting. When we rightly ordered our love, when we rightly order our lives, we are declaring his reign. We're saying, Jesus, your way. That's how I want my life to look. I want to follow you and follow your way. Help me know what that means to reorder my life and my love for you and for the things that matter to you. So I want to say there may be things that you know right now in your life that you need to turn away from and to turn back to the Lord with your whole being. But that also looks different for every single one of us. If there are loves in your life that are in front of Jesus, if there are authorities in your life that are in front of Jesus, there might be things that are even opposed to the kingdom of God. What Jesus is inviting us to is to reorder, to watch him, to watch his life, and to reorder them. If we believe the good king is who he says he is, if we follow him, what's important becomes important to us. And his first things become our first things. Not that we just add to our busy life by other affections. And this is really what this simple illustration is meant to convey. First things first. That when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we will do that. So for me this year, Loving the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is I have actually applied to do a two-and-a-half-year discipleship program for me because I want my devotion to be stronger. I want my behavior to match my belief. And so I've said I want to go and be part of this thing where I continue to be discipled. It's going to take time and money and travel for me to be part of that, but it's one of the ways that I'm demonstrating, Lord, I want my loves to be rightly ordered. When I think about loving others first, one of the things I want to do this year is to celebrate my marriage. We're coming up on 20 years, and it's pretty easy to take for granted. I have such a faithful husband. I want to celebrate my marriage and love others well. 
For you, there will be different things when you think about these first things. What does it mean to join God in the work of making disciples? Maybe that's you teaching Sunday school. Maybe that's happening in your own home where you are teaching your children what it means to follow the way of Jesus in their context. Maybe you're serving at the Boulder Pregnancy Resource Center and you are a comfort and a caregiver. You are the presence of Christ to those people. What does it mean for each of us to be part of the ministry of making disciples? What does it mean to join God in the work of restoration and recreation, to have rhythms of hospitality and rest and Sabbath because we trust God, we trust that God will give us everything that we need? What does it mean for us in every way to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And part of what we see is that when we rightly order our loves and our life, it's not that God says everything else has to go. In fact, he says there's actually plenty of time for you to do all those things, to care for your home, to care for the others around you. There's plenty of time for it all to fit. And even those things like getting your nails done and ESPN and uh, funny memes and all those things, I know this all fits, but what I might say is maybe it doesn't all have to go back in. There's plenty of space for all the things, and when our lives are rightly ordered and our loves are rightly ordered, God intends for us to live in fullness and joy and contentment. I'm not going to put it all in. I've never seen anyone not put it all in, but I actually think it's an important thing that there are some things that sometimes need to go that God says, give yourself margin, give yourself space for the way of Jesus, to learn a new way to follow me. So how about you? What are some of those first things that will help you rightly order your love? Even as you think about this new year, what are some of those things that you might rightly order your love and your devotion to God? to the people that he's put in front of you, to the important work that he's given to you, to the joys, to the passions, to the hobbies, to rest, to generosity, to hospitality. Those are the things that matter to God and that he wants to be lived out in our lives. Remember, transformation happens externally as well. God does something in us through his spirit and we live it out and he transforms us as our belief in him as king gets translated into the way that we repent our whole lives given to him. He desires to do that in us and for us and for the world as well. So let me pray for you as we come to the table and as we enter this new year. God, you are so good. We thank you that you have given such wisdom for life. God, we want to love you with our whole being. We want our lives to reflect that. So God, help us to encourage one another in your way that we would follow you even when there are trials and temptations, Lord, that we would seek you, that we would delight in being friends with you, Jesus, and being in your presence. Thank you, God, for your nourishment at this table. Would you feed us would you remind us of first things? In Christ's name, amen.
Well, this table really is uh, a demonstration of the way that God loves us, that Jesus came, his actions demonstrate to us his love for us, that he died for us, that we might be given new life. And on the night that he was with his disciples, the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread they were eating, the Passover bread, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup, the cup of redemption. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood that has been shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul tells us whenever we eat this bread, whenever we drink this cup, we are proclaiming Jesus' death, his saving death, until he comes again. He is the king. He has come and he is returning. What a hope that we have because of his great love for the world. We're going to receive an intinction this morning, uh, communion by intinction this morning. So there will be five stations up here, two in the balcony, and then Eric and I will come to anyone who would rather not get out of their seat. We're happy to serve you wherever you are. The ushers will dismiss you row by row. So come and receive these gifts and know that God loves you so much. He demonstrated his love for you in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died us. Use this time to be together, to think about uh, ordering your love for the Lord, for the people that he has given to you. Uh, Come, uh, servers, and we will serve you as you come.